Good morning, church. Uh, okay, a few of you are awake. One more time. Good morning, church. Worship was incredible. I hope you just laid it all out uh, to Jesus this morning during worship. And I'm looking forward to our time together, the remaining 34 minutes and 42 seconds we have together. Uh, someone's keeping time. I'm not, you're not, but someone is. Anyway, we're in a series this morning called Strange Encounters. We started that last week. How many were here last week? Good. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you can catch the sermon online. Um, let's see, all the ways that we're doing that. I think it's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. Uh, if you're not following the church YouTube, you should, because there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, and then it's on our website in the archives, and then it's also in podcasting. If you have the Apple podcast or any other third-party podcast, so you can just listen to the audio while you're working out. If you go to Gold's Gym and there's not reception for the video, you can listen to the podcast, and audio works just fine at Gold's Gym. All right? So there are plenty of ways for you to catch up. I think last week was a great sermon. It was fun preparing. Um, it was transformational to kind of break that bread with you. And today, I think it's going to be good as well. Strange Encounters is looking at bizarre stories in the Bible, bizarre passages, the ones that make you think, what in the world is going on here? Last week, we talked about Elisha and the two bears. And it, on the surface, it doesn't make sense, but we spent some time digging into that. Um, along the way, we're going to see how even the strangest Bible stories reveal God's nature, they point to Jesus, and they encourage and strengthen our faith. So I hope that you're blessed. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for our time together. I ask that you would bless the word, bless our ears to hear it, bless our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen. 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 Uh, strange encounters. Speaking of strange encounters, we have a strange encounter coming up December 4th. Now that's the first Sunday in December. Thank you. <laughs> and you may be asking, well, why is that a strange encounter? I'll tell you why it's a strange encounter. Because we are hosting our annual Big Give. It's our legacy offering. And we see all throughout Scripture the different ways to give through our tithe and through our offering and how there were moments where the people were called together for a, just a big, a big give. You know, What hurts for you may not hurt for me, and what hurts for me may not hurt for you. And So the goal is just, as a body, all of us sacrifice towards this one goal. Um, so that is December 4th. Your kids and e-kids will be getting two-liter bottles uh, filled with lots of caffeine, and you can drink them as a family and then put coins in if you have any coins. I don't know. There's a coin shortage, I think. And uh, you can bring those on December 4th. And we're giving you two months heads, heads up notice so that you can kind of pray about it, see what you and the Lord want to do together and how you want to make extra money. In fact, if you want to scan the QR code uh, that's on the screen, we're going to have some just options and ideas on how you might prayerfully consider donating more this December 4th. Now, I know you're asking, where does the money go? Well, first of all, hopefully when you come to church, you realize that it takes money to run a facility like this. 
Um, our rent every month is 20, how much is it up to now? Last month we paid, or two months ago, $28,000. In 30 days, $28,000. But I, I think it's maybe down to like twenty-four grand. <laughs> it's no big deal, $24,000. And uh, so every month is a step of faith. When we gather and we give and we honor God with our finances. Um, and so what we're really pushing towards, um, not just maintaining this facility, there are things that need to happen here. There are walls that need to get painted. There um, are carpets that need to get cleaned, primarily from coffee, um, primarily this side of the auditorium. <laughs> we don't know from week to week who's sitting there, so don't look at these people. These people are cautious and careful, and they treat the... Here's my thing. Can I just take a, a tangent for a moment? If you spill coffee, that's okay, but can you have the common courtesy to clean it up? Is that asking too much? Is, did I just offend everyone? I mean, this is the Lord's house. I mean, you can leave coffee on your carpet at home if that's how you want to live, but let's honor the house of God. My wife says no food in here. Well, you can take that up with her. No food in here. Anyway, we just want to be good stewards of God's house. Do you know what I mean? Um, but beyond that, can I just share my heart for, for two minutes? I believe we're heading out of this space. Yes. I believe the, the lease goes another two years. And I have our team now looking for land, looking for a building to buy, looking for a place to call home. Um, I don't know how long the Lord is going to tarry, but if he tarries another three years, I don't want to be in this space when rent is then thirty grand. A month. Um, I want to be good stewards of what the Lord is giving to us. And every time we give that check of twenty-four thousand a month, my insides just kind of mm, like, you know, we don't need to spend that much. I believe the Lord wants to bless us, but it requires us to be faithful in our giving. So, this December fourth, the majority of that money, yeah, we may do some touch-ups, and especially for kids' ministry, they deserve some renovations back there. But we're going to put a large chunk of that into our building fund so that when we see the land, when we see the building, we can take it within the next two years. And then when it's time to sign this lease, we can be gracious, and, and we can carry our chairs out, and we can get all of our wall decor, and we can leave the building in better shape than when we got here, and we'll honor the landlord but we'll say hasta la vista to $24,000 a month, okay? So that's my heart, and I pray that as you're driving around the town, uh, I like this area. I think this is a good hub. We have people coming in from Cedar Park, from Lakeway, from Hutto, from South Austin. I, I think this is a good area, so I don't really want to move out to Seal. You know, we could get some land out there. Um, but this is kind of what we're looking. So as you're driving around and you see things for sale or you just have a, a God nudge, call me. Call Sherry Bro. All right? Uh, she's a realtor and she can, she can get information on it. Anyway, that will be a strange encounter. Now you're asking why is that a strange encounter? Because when you step out in faith and you trust God, he always meets you at that point. And so it's not just about raising the money. It's about increasing your faith. It's about meeting God at this place where we call December 4th legacy offering, okay? Are you still with me? Yes. 
Are my coffee drinkers mad at me? You understand. Okay, let's not be offended. Um, I'm even drinking coffee this morning, so I get it. Things happen. I want to get to the strange encounter that we're talking about today in our text. Um, It's in Genesis 32, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis. We'll be in and out of Genesis from like 25 to 32, chapter 27, then we'll jump up to Exodus. We're going to hit a lot of Bible today. Uh, It's basically telling you a story about a man named Jacob who wrestled with God. That's a strange encounter. Like he physically wrestled with God. It wasn't just inner turmoil. He didn't have indigestion overnight and couldn't sleep. Do you know some of us, we wake up after a bad night's sleep and we're like, oh, I really wrestled with the Lord last night. No, you didn't. You needed Tums. <laughs> Speaking of, we have Tums all over the place in this church. We, this is a story of a man who physically wrestled with God. I bet that tops your week. Uh, no matter what's happened to you today, you didn't show up and say, you know, I, <laughs> I wrestled with God. But this man did. That's a strange encounter. And no matter how you read it, it's just weird. I mean, you try going to work and telling your non-believing friends about the story about a man who wrestled with God. It's weird. Can we just all look at each other and say, that's weird? Okay, it's weird. We believe some weird things as believers. We believe a woman got pregnant without having sex. We believe that a man died on a cross for someone he didn't even know. We believe that he went into a grave and then chose three days later to walk out of the grave without any assistance. We believe in a spirit of God that hovers over the deep and you can ask him to come into you and he will fill you with power beyond what you can do. We believe some weird things. And we believe that Jacob wrestled with God. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 32. Starting with verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives. His two, two wives. That's a sermon for another day. (laughs) His two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Yabuk. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Sometimes God does his greatest work when you find yourself alone. We're in a season of connecting deeply with one another, but sometimes to connect deeply with God, we actually have to disconnect from the opinion of others. Sometimes to connect deeply with God, we actually have to turn off the worship music with lyrics so we can hear Holy Spirit speaking to us, not the lyrics that another man wrote. Sometimes we have to understand that connecting with God often happens best when we're in isolation. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, the man, by the way, Who is the man? Some believe it's an angel. Some believe it's the angel of the Lord. Some believe most 
scholars believe, and I believe, it's the pre-incarnate version of Jesus. So Jesus was in the flesh before Jesus came in the flesh. Think about that one for a moment. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, I think this is funny because they've been wrestling all night. (laughs) It touched his hip and now he's asking the man, oh wait, pause, what's your name? What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. It's weird. He sends his family, he sends his flock, he sends his two wives, maidservants, 11 sons, across the ford, the, the crossover of the Yabuk. And he's there alone, and God shows up to wrestle. And so they wrestle all night. And then daybreak comes, and the man, capital M, says, let me go, it's almost daybreak. And by the way, what's your name? It's just weird, y'all. Like, if you were to tell me that God wrestled with you, I would ask you, but what's the point? Like, why? What became of it? Well, he did touch my hip. Oh, okay. And now I'm, I'm limping. Oh, great. Okay. But what's the point of it? You wrestled all night with God, what is the point of it? And if you wrestled with God, how did you win? That's the big question. Now, do you remember last week I told you that, um, I told you the purpose of the Old Testament. Anyone remember that? In 2 Timothy 3.15, the purpose of the Old Testament or the sacred writings, the purpose, the Apostle Paul tells us, is to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So anytime we read the Old Testament, we want to know what the purpose is of those sacred writings. The purpose is what? To make you wise. Come on, you'll never remember this on Monday if you can't even remember it 30 seconds later. Let's put the, the verse back up there. Let's help them out. What is the purpose of the Old Testament? Good. That is the purpose of the Old Testament. It always points to Jesus. Now, in this sermon, I'm not going to uh, break it down for you and draw all the parallels like I did last week. Last week, we went through Elisha and the two bears, and I showed you how it all pointed to Jesus. I'm not going to do that in today's sermon. I want to preach the text, the content of the text, but I'm going to quickly draw the parallel just to help you understand that the Old Testament makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here we see the man wrestling with a man all night, and he lowers himself. He almost steps into his limitation 
so that a man can be blessed by the man. Did I, did I paraphrase that pretty good? The man limits himself, embraces weakness, so that a man could be blessed by the man. Where else in Scripture do we see the God of all creation limit his power to that of a fleshly man, step into weakness, embrace weakness, so that through his weakness, all men might be blessed. The cross. On the cross, the God of all creation allowed himself. His life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down. He stepped into weakness. He stepped into limitation so that you and I might be blessed when he laid his life down. So that is, that is the foreshadowing in this text of the New Testament. Do you see the connection? I want to move on today and look at the life of Jacob, do a bit of text background. Um, my goal is for you not to just walk away understanding the life of Jacob, but through the life of Jacob, to have an encounter with God and an encounter with yourself. In the text that I read to you that we both agreed was weird, Jacob is engaged in a wrestling match with God all night. This is not the first time that we see Jacob wrestling, by the way. I mean, this is pretty, it's a strange encounter. It's the one, it's the big crescendo that we're talking about. But this is not the first time that Jacob is wrestling. And in fact, scripture tells us that Jacob was a, a wrestler before he was even born. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, I'll take you there. Isaac, his dad, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, Jacob's mom, became pregnant. The baby, she was pregnant with twins. She was pregnant with Jacob and pregnant with Esau. And the babies jostled each other within her. They were wrestling. There was a wrestling match in the womb of Rebekah before Jacob was ever born. You, you see that? And she said, I love this, why is this happening to me? She wanted a baby. She was complaining that she wasn't pregnant. Then she got twins. Luana might can understand a bit of this after just having twins. Amber might remember having twins. Maybe they jostled. She wanted a baby. Then God gave her twins. And then there's a wrestling match. They were cage fighting, you know. So she went to inquire of the Lord to ask, why is this happening to me? She didn't call the midwife. She didn't go to Seton. She went to the Lord. And a lot of us in the room, this is probably one of the first lessons we can learn in the life and the story of Jacob. When you have a problem, don't go to your broke relative. Don't go to your your divorced uncle, don't go to your emotionally unstable cousin. Go to God. If you're having questions about what's going on in your world, everybody in the room has a different opinion about your life. But God knows. God sees around the corners that you can't see. So why are we not going to him first when we have a question? She went to God, inquired of the Lord, 
Why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Chewbacca. (laughs) After this, his brother came out, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. He was wrestling in the womb, holding on to the heel of his brother because he was fighting for the blessing. He... He was born this way. He was born sinful. But because he was born sinful doesn't give him a right to continue living in sin. He was born sinful. He was born selfish. He was born wanting to get ahead. He was born wanting the birthright and the blessing. And listen, I know there are some beautiful babies in this place. And sometimes people get upset with me when I... When I talk about babies are just born sinful, but if you don't believe that babies are born sinful, that just tells me you're not a parent. (laughs) Because you have to teach a child to share. You don't teach them to say mine. Where did they learn that word from? Mine. You don't even have to teach them to say no. They know no. You have to teach them to say please. Jacob, especially the little heel grabber, began wrestling for a blessing even before he was born. Now, he wanted the birthright and the blessing. The birthright, the firstborn of any family in that culture, it's, a, it's hard for Americans to get this because we're so high on equality, right? We think, we think if you got, and I'm not, we think if you got five kids that you got to keep a spreadsheet at Christmas and you got to spend like to the penny for each one, right? Rather than just like blessing them based on what you feel they need in the moment and what's right for them. And, and then the kids are opening and counting gifts and they don't realize that that one big gift was three of these smaller gifts. I mean, that was a slinky and a Rubik's Cube, and you just got a karaoke machine. Like, you can't count the numbers because it's equal. But as an American, we're just so driven by equality. And I'm not suggesting that equality is a bad thing, but sometimes we miss the nuance of Scripture. And in this culture, the firstborn got the birthright. The firstborn got the blessing. The birthright was everything that your dad owned, So anything that the family owned and had acquired throughout time, the firstborn got the majority of it. That was the birthright. In addition to that, all the all the flock, the tents, the the uh, the uh, money, everything that the dad had owned earned, they get the blessing. The blessing is forward focused. So as a firstborn, I get the blessing of my father. So the hand of God that was on my father now comes on me, and I continue in the prosperity. Now. I'm a middle child, so I'm glad that's not the case today. I'm glad that my 
older sister, the firstborn of our family, isn't getting everything. No, I'm glad. I'm serious. I'm glad that she isn't the only one that gets the blessing of my father. That the wisdom he carries can flow to all three of us. To Sherry, to me, to Amber. It It can flow down. But in this situation, there was something inside of Jacob. He knew that he had to grab the heel of Esau if he was going to win the birthright and the blessing. Now in the kingdom, we have to understand that the first will be last and the last will be first. It's, the kingdom is different than what we see in the cultural context of this scripture. And it is a miserable life, Stefan, to constantly be grabbing heels. Constantly be trying to make a way for yourself, get your own dreams off the ground, get your own inheritance. This, this overwhelming drive to consume the things that you need, that you want, that you expect, that you deserve. How many know that's exhausting? I don't know if you've ever been there, but most people, when they're in an unhealthy state, they become very self-centered, self-focused, self-reliant, and we all end up here. Generally, it's not just the black sheep of the family. It's not just the the person who is highly dysfunctional. We have all had a tendency to be heel grabbers from time to time. Now, the firstborn, Esau, couldn't be any more different from Jacob. Esau was, well, he was red and apparently very hairy. How hairy do you have to be for the Bible to specifically mention that you're hairy. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's rugged. He's a man's man. I imagine he's probably pretty ugly. Not just my imagination. Not because of the hair or the red skin, but he's just like, I feel like he's got scars everywhere. You know, like when he talks, you listen. And then there's Jacob. The Bible says Jacob liked to hang out in the tents. He, he liked the AC. <laughs> he was a mama's boy. He sat down at night in the tent, watched reruns of Call the Midwives. <laughs> he watched Bachelor, Bachelorette. Helped mom in the kitchen. Made, he made a wonderful souffle. Um, Jacob was very different. I imagine he probably dressed with skinny jeans and a mismatched shirt with an overcoat that didn't match and probably had a few earrings. He's just very, very different, very into himself, very all about himself. And we see at one point that Esau comes in from outdoor and He's famished. He's starving. And his brother Jacob says, Ah, I just made some soup. I'll tell you what. You give me your birthright. You remember the birthright is most of what daddy owns. You give me your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of soup. Now, I don't know. That doesn't sound like too good of a deal to me. Must have been really good soup. But Esau, I've had some soup like that. But Esau took the deal. And he gave him the birthright, and he ate the soup. And now Jacob is scheming to get the blessing. So the birthright wasn't enough. Now he wants the blessing. And Isaac is old. 
Isaac is somewhere around 60. He's losing his eyesight. Um, and he's laying in bed. He's getting frail. And he knows that Esau is the oldest. And he's getting ready to just bless him. And he says, Esau, go out. Go out to the field. <laughs> I imagine him just stroking Esau's hair on his forearm. <laughs> Esau, go out to the field. Get your game. Bring something back and make me some stew, some good food so I can bless you before I die. Esau leaves. And Rebecca heard. Mom heard. Of course, Jacob is the mama's boy, so she wants Jacob to get the blessing. So she goes and tells Jacob, hey, why don't you go out there and get the two goats, the, the best two goats that you see. Bring it in here. I'm going to make some food just the way your daddy likes it. And then we're going to put on your brother's clothes and we're going to cover you with some like sheep hair or wool and, and, and you're going to go in and pretend to be your brother so that you can get the blessing. And Jacob is like, but, but I'm not sure that that's okay. And she's like, if it's bad, let the curse fall on me. So she makes the stew, makes the food, sends, sends Jacob into the room, and Daddy says, Who's there? Who is it? Jacob says, <clears throat> Esau. Esau? How did you get back so quick? Uh, <clears throat> here, here, Dad, eat the, eat the food I made for you so that you can give me the blessing." Come here, son. Let me, let me touch you. Why is it that your voice sounds like Jacob, but you feel like Esau? Are, who are you? <clears throat> Esau. So he eats the food. And he blesses who he thinks is Esau, but he blesses Jacob. And Jacob leaves the room, and Esau comes in with his game, and he makes food, and he takes us to his dad just moments after Jacob leaves the room, and he says, Dad, I'm here. Well, what do you mean you're here? I just, you were just here. I wasn't just here. No, you were just here. I just gave you the blessing, and Esau is furious. If you read the text, he like, he screams, I imagine it to be like this moment where the, the camera is just panning and you, he opens his mouth to scream and the camera goes down to see the little flappy thing. <laughs> He's screaming, upset because his brother Jacob took the blessing. He said, I'm going I'm to kill him. And so mama says, son, you better run to Jacob. So Jacob takes off running. He flees from Esau, and he's gone uh, for a number of years. In Genesis 27, 15 through 23, lays that out for us and how that happened. And Esau gets back. He's furious, and Rebekah says to run. So he runs to his uncle Laban, and he's gone for 21 years. What good is it to dress up, pretend to be somebody you're not, and get what you want if you have to be on the run for 21 years? He got the blessing, but he lost himself. 
He got the blessing, but he lost his home. He got the blessing, but he, he lost the interaction with his mom and dad. And I wonder how many of us are grasping for stuff. We're grasping for success, grasping for that next deal, grasping for the car, grasping for the bigger home, grasping for whatever it is that we're currently running for. But in the process, you're losing yourself. You're damaging the relationships because you're so focused on what you want and what you need and what you deserve and what you expect that you're letting the relationships around you be demolished by your selfish ambition. So he goes to work for Uncle Laban, and he has tons of resource now. And read the story. I think it's in chapter 31, chapters 30 and 31, and you see how Jacob, which his name means heel grabber, which he did quite literally. His name means supplanter, which means to uproot and take the place of. His name means deceiver. So we see that he did that to his brother Esau in the womb and then in the kitchen, in the bedroom. Now we see he goes to Laban and he tricks his uncle Laban to get his flock. It's a complicated story. I don't know how it all works, but he took tree bark and he used a knife to make it spotted. And when the, the flock came to drink from the water, he laid those branches in the water so they would see the reflection of the spots and then when they made it, they produced flocks with spots. And he had a deal with Uncle Laban that any, any animal that had spots or striped would be his. And so he manipulated the system so that all the strong herd became ones with spots and were his. Uncle Laban gets mad. So Esau, who's been on the run for 21 years, is now on the run from Uncle Laban with his two wives, Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. He's on the run from Laban. Jacob stopped building too good of a life for himself. Manipulation and control only gets you so far. Jacob, after some time, wants to make things right with his brother Esau. So he sends messengers. He knows where his brother Esau is, and he sends messengers to say, hey, Go tell my master Esau, notice the language, go tell my master Esau that his servant Jacob is approaching. And, and, and I've got all of these maidservants and I've got all of this flock and he wanted Esau to know that he wasn't going to try to rip him off this time. He wanted an honest conversation. He wanted to make some things right. And the messengers came back and said, yeah, we saw your brother Esau and he said he's coming to see you. And he's got 400 men with him. So Jacob divides his group into two groups because he's used to control. He's used to manipulation. He's used to having the power. If, if Esau is coming to get me, I'll divide everything into two groups. That way, if he takes out one group, I'll still have the other. And then he prayed. And he asked God to save him. And I, I just hope that if there's a lesson to be learned by Jacob today, that you and I might just learn to go to God first. Yeah. I get that you're wise. I get that you're intelligent and you've got a lot of solutions and you've got a lot of ideas. But can we just agree that the best solutions come from heaven? 
Sometimes we use prayer as a last resort rather than the key that unlocks the next door that we need. There was a time in the life of our church, a woman showed up and... If I tell this story wrong, just interrupt me. It's kind of your story. A woman showed up and she felt like she was oppressed and needed some healing um, in the area of deliverance and renewal. And um, she sensed that there was demonic activity in her life and service was starting. So I did what any good pastor did. I looked at my wife and I said, go take care of it. (laughs) So my wife goes back there and by this point, the lady is back in the back of the church. She's laying down on a couch and she's feeling suffocated. She can't breathe. Well, we understand that there are real physical things that happen to people. Not everything is a demon. But discernment allows you to know the difference. And we had someone on team. They were a nurse, and they were wanting to call 911. And she was making the call. We got to call 911, and my wife is there. And my wife did what Jacob didn't do. She said, hold on a minute. Let's pray. And in that moment, Holy Spirit spoke to my wife and said, put on the armor of God on this woman. And so she put her hand on her forehead and she just very peacefully put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, shield of faith, belt of truth. Your feet are ready to walk in peace. By the time Carrie got done putting on the armor of God on someone else, Carrie didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know that either. By the time she got done doing that, this woman's breathing had calmed down and she had a smile on her face. And the nurse in the room said, I don't even think that's medically possible. I've never seen this happen before in my life. But sometimes before we run to 911, we should run to the Lord in prayer. Now, if you cut your finger off, pray while you're dialing. <laughs> but I think the point is bigger than 911. I think you're getting my, my gist. We, we worry and we toil about how to get our kids to be obedient or how to get them out of trouble or how to get them to connect. And we think we read this book and talk to this counselor and talk to this family that's been through it. And we do so much posturing, trying to fix our issue. When is the last time you were on your face before the Lord crying out for heaven's solution regarding your issue? So Jacob split the group into two. And then he prayed. Then he said, God, help me. Save me from the hand of my brother. And that was the moment he found himself alone and God shows up for a wrestling match. This is the crescendo to our moment where God shows up. Now he's alone. He's wrestling with God. By the way, how old do you think Jacob was when he was wrestling with God? I don't don't know that I've ever really thought about it, but when I picture in my mind all these kids' books... You know, Jacob wrestles with God. It's this young buck, 25-year-old, you know, year old, smooth chest, hairless, big muscles. Like, and then there's, there's God, and he's wrestling, and it looks like there's a competition. You, Jacob was 97 years old. 
No wonder his hip popped out of something. After his hip went out of socket, the man, Jesus pre-incarnate, said, let me go, it's almost daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's passionate. He's been, he's been fighting for a blessing all of his life, but in this moment, he recognizes that there is a divine fingerprint on this encounter. I'm not wrestling with the heel of my brother. I'm not wrestling with the plans of my uncle. There is a moment I'm stepping into where I can't walk away. I know that I'm old. I know I'm hurting, but I can't let go in this moment. I won't let go till you bless me. I love how I said I won't let you go. I wonder if this is the first time that Jacob was ever actually fighting for the giver of the blessing rather than fighting for the blessing. Verse 27. The wrestling, the hip is out of socket. Jacob's cried out in pain. He's limping around, but he's holding on. And Jesus looks at him. God looks at him. The angel looks at him and says, what's your name? What's your name? This is a a beautiful moment, by the way. Because this isn't the first time that Jacob has been asked, Who are you? Who's in the room? Last time, 21 years ago, when asked, Who was he? He said, I'm Esau. But this time is different. This is the time he's trying to get a blessing, not for someone he's pretending to be, but for someone that he is. He says, I'm Jacob. Who are you? I'm Jacob. And, and scripture jumps between calling him, I, I'm ready for keys. Scripture jumps between calling him Jacob and Israel. Just like it does Peter, Simon, jumps back and forth. And I got to thinking about that, and I, Chad, you can jump up here. You're good. Jacob, Israel, because sometimes transformation is messy. Some days he looks like Jacob, some days he looks like Israel. Remember Simon and Peter? Simon became Peter the rock. But sometimes Peter didn't look like the rock. Sometimes he looked like Simon. God is not intimidated by your progress status. You may today feel like a Jacob, even though you know God has called you an Israel, but God's not concerned. He's not pushed you away from the table. I love how Jacob then asked the angel, what's your name? And the angel doesn't answer because the angel wasn't there to communicate who he was. He was there to communicate to Jacob who Jacob was. 
a book later in the Bible. I'm closing. I just got to point out this, this one block of text because this is just amazing to me. In Exodus 3, verse 13 through 15, it's the burning bush. God is talking to Moses. And Moses is asking God the same question that Jacob did. He asked God, who are you? Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is God's introduction. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, your God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the... Now, I would have thought it said the God of Israel, the new and improved Jacob. I would have thought that when God was introducing himself, he wanted to show the success story, the finished product. The, the Jacob was the heel grabber, the deceiver, the supplanter. Israel actually means contending with God. Better put, he holds God. So Jacob went from holding man to Israel, holding God. And I would have thought that when God introduced himself, he would have much preferred to say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Israel. But he didn't. And the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I'm even the God of Jacob. I'm the God of you when you feel like a Jacob. When you're a deceiver. When you're a supplanter. When you're manipulative. When you're controlling. When you're out of line. When you're out of control. He's the God of Jacob too. He's the God of your struggle. He's the God of your weakness. Because it's complicated. Moving from a Jacob to Israel is complicated. Think of all the people that God used in Scripture. Noah. God used Noah to, to build a boat, to save humanity. And after, like, after the whole human race is saved because of Noah, he goes and gets drunk and naked and does some freaky things. Think of Moses, who led the people out of Egypt. But, but Moses is a murderer. Think of Abraham, the father of the nations. But Abraham is a liar. Think of David, who has a heart after God, yet... Yet David has a problem with lust and he's an adulterer and he wanted a woman so bad that he slept with her then had her husband killed. Think of Peter, the one who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were added to the church but this same man is the one who denied Jesus. God is the God of him too. He's the God of your weakness too. So in the room today, I just want somebody to take a moment and receive that in this place. 
that your vulnerability is welcome in healthy community. Your honesty and your transparency is all right in a, a church house where we're not expecting people to be perfect. You don't have to show up with everything put together to connect deeply here because God is the God of Jacob too. If you're here and you're just needing God to remind you, Holy Spirit to remind you that he's, he's still God in your life. No matter the decisions that you're making, no matter the choices that you're making, no matter how much money you've got, education you've got, like, yeah, you know that he's called you to be Israel, but you've just been feeling a bit like a Jacob. Will you just stand to your feet and receive this word this morning? There is literally no desert that his stream can't run to. Whether you recognize it or not, you're standing in the middle of your promised land. Father, every person that's standing this morning, God, we're humbled that a God of all creation can step into, can feign weakness so that he can be in relationship with us, can embrace his limitations so that we could be in right standing with him. God, I thank you that you are the God of Jacob too. When we're wrestling with anxiety, when we're depressed, when we're insecure, when we're broke, when we're choosing to isolate ourselves, when we're walking in, in sexual perversion, when we're walking in addiction, when we're just running from you, God, you continue to call us back to you. So God, I thank you that in the moment of transition from Jacob to Israel, we continue to run into you, to lean into you, to be known by you. In Jesus' name.